Podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree, the third degree net podcast. Third degree the podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. That's the place if you want that FC Dallas gear, North Texas Soccer Club, all the European stuff, man. They got everything: Bundesliga, La Liga, EPL. Third Degree listeners get 20% off when you use the code Third Degree at checkout. Be sure and check out our good friends over there. Socket90.com. Some exclusions do apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. This one is numbered 226. 226. Hi, I'm Peter. And uh, as always, with my other curious friends. First off, Dan Crook. Howdy, Dan. All right. Yep. Yeah. About that. Yep. Okay. Uh, All right. All right. right. Good to know. And your hero, my hero, everybody's hero, editor, founder of thirddegree.net, and the original Buzz Carrick. Come in, Buzz. Uh, Hi, Peter. Uh, Can you fill us in on your soccer adventure that you had? I'm confused about where you were. I was not on a soccer adventure. I was just on vacation with my wife. Oh. Yeah. I thought you said you went to a soccer game. No, 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 no. I uh, we uh, just uh, went out and hung out in the uh, in the north northern California woods for a few days. It was plenty good. Well, that's a nice place. Yes, and it was not a jillion effing degrees. I actually at one point laughed because I was kind of cold, and that made me laugh because <laughs> that did, was funny. Yes, did you make it, was, it by Crater Lake or Lawson Volcano or any of that stuff? No, we weren't that far north. Oh, we were no, down no. in the Big Sur area. Uh, oh well, that's Ooh, yes, nice. that's lovely yeah. as well. Yeah, it's quite spectacular. <laughs> yeah. Which means, boys, I'm completely in the fog because I saw neither of Dallas's 1-0 win against Austin over the weekend or the 2-1 loss at St. Louis last night. We're recording this on Thursday night. So, uh, uh, boys, why don't you guys fill me in on the good, bad, and the ugly of these two results, which left Dallas uh, with nine games left yeah. and in ninth place well there weren't a lot of good was there no there was not <laughs> there even was... in the 1-0 win yeah it's dreary man no jesus oh no well the the you could take it this way there was what six seven minutes of stoppage time take the first 95 minutes throw it in a dustbin and then just watch the last minute of stoppage time yeah that's about right <laughs> really well, that yeah, bad huh? yeah well you know without jesus this team is um occasionally relatively one-dimensional and they started jesus jimenez up top in a 4-3-3 uh that player has not been particularly valuable this season but the times that he has been somewhat valuable it's come in a 4-4-2 with a two-striker system well this was not a two-striker system this was jesus jimenez on an island and that's not so good so uh there was a lot of um complete sort of meltdown, if you will, of the Dallas offense. There was pretty much none of it. The defense was pretty good. Nikosi Tafari, for example, who I'd like to talk about in a minute, has had a really good game. But they just didn't really create much. Uh, you had to leave it to, again, Nikosi uh, to steal the game at the end uh, with a with a flick-on header. It just wasn't very pretty, even though it was a win. How was the crowd? It looked like, uh, from the video I saw, it looked like there was a fantastic crowd that night. Dan? okay. I think they announced 17, maybe? So it was not announced as a sellout? No. Mm, okay. I think they thought it was going to be because that was one of the games where they had, they you know, if you were a season ticket holder and you wanted an extra ticket, they started pimping that game, you know, back like in March, like, hey, that game's going to sell out. 
Uh, and then it didn't. Sorry, is that the first uh, drone show uh, hey. game that was not a sellout? And is our drone show starting to wear themselves out? It might be, maybe. Uh, so yeah, well, it was that bad. Okay, wow, that's uh, that's unfortunate. Well, the Saint Louis game was even worse. It was well. I mean, the Saint Louis game at least some stuff happened in it. Trying to write about <laughs> that Austin game, I got to half time and. I was maybe two paragraphs in from what happened in the starting lineup. It was dire. Hmm. Yeah, it just was flat. I mean, you know, my only positive takeaway from that game was, you know, the continued ascendancy of Nikosi Tafari as a leader, um, you know, as the club almost feeding off him in a way. And then uh, Asir Iaramendi, uh, the first time we've seen him at all. So that was a relatively positive impression. I liked uh, his clearly higher level of game reading, his anticipation, his movement. He, there were, over both these games, the minutes he played, there were multiple times where he would turn a play back with a really nice pinch right at the right time. Some really nice passing on his part. You know, the, the, the club put out some, uh, you know, fancy-ish kind of numbers that all, you know, sounded really good. Um, but overall, for me, it was the, it was the eye test particularly against Austin that made me think, Oh wow, that's a, there's a little, a little something there. And, and it made me excited for like, okay, I want to see him more. I want to see him more. You know, he only played 33 minutes in that first game, but for example, he had 11 passes into the final third. Um, he, he had seven progressive passes in that short amount of time. You know, it's just was an example of a guy who uh, recognized really quickly that what was happening in the game and adjusted really quickly what was happening in the game. And that was, that's amazing, that level of soccer thinking. And he played a deeper line than Legette, probably to sort of find himself the ball cleaner and have it in front of himself so he could do these things that he did really well over that 33 minutes. I thought he was so good, in fact, that I thought they might push him to start versus St. Louis, uh, which they ended up not doing. But, um, you know, I, I think it won't take very long before they're like, man, this guy's got to be starting. Was, what do you th- – What do you? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dan. I was going to say it was a little bit difficult. Um, you know, Austin drops back. Austin goes a man down. They drop back into a, a low block, really compress inside the box. And it, it seemed like every player was just like, get the ball to Iaramendi. He can put a nice cross in. Um, you know, and there, there was time and time again, like you say, he was kind of turning the play back away because, you know, you, you would have the, the lone Austin attacker identify he's the guy to press. He's the guy that can actually do something with the ball and make something happen. Uh, yeah, I mean, he identified those moments well, spread the ball about well, and, um, you know, created a little bit of havoc, uh, even with FC Short trying to trying to cross in every five seconds. Yeah, and some of those characteristics carried over to the St. Louis game when they when they were a man down. He still was making the same sort of turn back moments and, and finding guys in good positions in the short time he was into that game. Again, it hasn't been more than 20 or 30 minutes each game, so it's not a profound sample, you know, and, and how he would fare against starters and against Scott versus against guys that are tired is obviously a big difference, but you know, still things of interesting. We have a new player of the caliber that we think he is. It's nice to see things be happening in a good way. Well, okay. So this is what I'm, uh, I'm not certain I understand. So what's the plan here is, is, is the plan to put him and Facundo in a double pivot or is he going to play higher? Is he, is he the creative player this team's been looking for in the midfield? Cause well, I thought both, that was now Velasco. Yeah, well it is, it is Velasco as the free player. Um, both Nico and Zanatas in separate conversations have talked about 
ERMND being more of an eighth than a six. Um, but, you know, da Dallas these days is playing either um, like, well, in the St. Louis game, it was a flat four. So that's kind of a, you know, throwout game. But in the game before, when Legette was in there, it's the same hybrid sort of three they've been playing all through the League's Cup, where Velasco is slightly higher with a little more freedom than Legette, who's slightly deeper, but isn't in a double pivot, like a full double pivot, isn't sitting back deep next to Facundo. He's kind of in the middle as a traditional sort of linking mid. When Iaramendi came in in that game, he dropped deep, and it was a legit double pivot. You know, he's still the, the eight making the passes and moving the ball forward, but it was a legit double at that point. And then again, like I mentioned, the St. Louis game, it's, it's hard to take a lot from that because, A, they went down so early, a man. But even before that, you know, it was a flat 4-4-2. And that's not really what this coach wants to be doing most of the time. And, it, and again, it wasn't near Monday. It was Paxton and Facundo, which we could talk about again in a minute. You know, so when he's come in, it hasn't been – it's each game he's come in, Yarmendi, it hasn't really been a good read on what would happen normally because they were up a man against Austin and they were down mm -hmm. a man against St. Louis. So it's it's not ideal from that perspective. You know, for sure, Facundo and him in a double is legit possible. Yeah, I guess I'm asking what you what you uh what your sense is how this is going to end up at least the rest of this season. I mean, it depends. You know, the, the problem is, this is a good problem, but the problem is now they've sloughed off some guys at the bottom of the roster and brought in dudes that appear to be of a higher caliber. So now you have with Facundo, you have your Armendi, you have Legette and you have Paxson. All three are capable of being really good players it appears. And now you move Velasco in there too. So you now have four guys for what might be two spots. So it's going to be, maybe it'll be a fair amount of rotation in that spot. Maybe, you know, you end up with a guy playing six like ER Mindy in the long run instead of Facundo or on certain games, maybe that'll be the look. I think you'll see more rotation among those players than you might have before when it was, you know, at the beginning of the year, we basically had Legette Paxson and Facundo or Edwin. And that was it. you know, right. Either, you know, Siki wasn't playing up to snuff. Legette wasn't playing up to snuff. You know, it, you, they, they traded Brandon really quickly. It just hasn't really been – it's a very different situation now than it was a month and a half ago, for sure. And and I honestly don't have a really good answer for it other than we're going to have to see how it breaks. I mean, it, there's enough talent now that you can't automatically assume starters are going to be the same 11 guys all the time. Well, okay, so I got so many questions based on two games that I didn't see and just kind of watched some highlights and – read some reactions uh, mm -hmm. in different places. So let me figure out the best way to start this. So we, what I've heard you say, Buzz, lots of talent, good position to be in, blah, blah, yep. blah. But I also hear you saying the team's not playing very well, looks flat, and nobody can score. Yeah, well, I was <laughs> talking about the midfield. <laughs> ah. uh, without Jesus, it all falls apart up front is the problem. Um, you, know, you know, They went with Jimenez on an island in the first game. And the second game was Jimenez and Obreon together up top, and Obreon didn't start the Austin game. But again, you know, they went down a man with a red card on that second game, and that kind of throws it out the window in terms of what's going on because they immediately go, you know, 4 4 1 basically, and now Obreon's by himself up top, you know, and against Austin, they were up a man. So Austin was sitting in a far, really, really deep block. So again, you're not seeing much of an offense there without Jesus, of course. But you're looking at a game where it's like it's Dallas having dominated like 68% possession or something stupid like that out of a team that doesn't want the ball. 
you know, so neither one of these games are a really good read on what this team should look like or will look like when they actually are playing 11 11 soccer with their best player in the lineup. So the, the midfield all of a sudden has, you know, choices to be made when before it had no choices at all. The front line still doesn't have those choices. You know, Ariel is coming back, but isn't there yet. Bernie flamed out against Austin and wasn't really very good. You know, Oberon is Oberon. Uh, Eugene Anza looks like he's a smarter version of Oberon, which doesn't get you all that much better. And Jimenez just stands there. So you really are still have a problem at the front line is the issue. And I'll tell you how you know that's true. St. Louis, of course, is the, the best offensive team in the league. They've scored 52 goals now. Dallas has 26, basically. I think it's maybe it was 27 after the one goal against St. Louis. So they're twice as good on offense than Dallas is. You know, Dallas is one of the worst offensive teams in the league. So, you know, th- there's a lot of good pieces, and, and some of the, the really low-end death has moved out, and some good solid guys have moved in, none of them across the front line where you still have a lot of problems. Mm. Yes, I did notice, uh, and I do think if there was anything to kind of describe the state this team is in, Nikosi with his goal against Austin to win that game now ties him for second in goal scoring for this team as a center back. And maybe the more frightening part of that stat buzz is that his tally for the season is three. Yeah, and Bernie has three also. Yeah, and it's Jesus <laughs> with 10 in yeah. first place. And Bernie, Bernie being a guy who's, you know, a couple months into his first ever career and it's hardly started at all. And he's your third leading guy. You know, it's just... So when I was gone, uh, you know, every once in a while out in the middle of nowhere, I would occasionally get um, Wi-Fi or some sort of cell signal. And I saw this alarming moment in the discord. Uh, you know, I guess it was after the Austin game where I had, Read at least I was under the impression, I don't remember the timing of this, but uh, that Jesus was gone because he had contracted COVID. But then I saw this photo of him at the game on the sideline, and suddenly yeah. everybody was in freakout mode of, oh, yeah, quote, air quotes on vague, you know, COVID, <laughs> which was an indicator to a lot of people that, oh, no, no, they're just, they're just saving him, they're keeping him safe in tissue paper because he's going to get sold. And so I, and then I subsequently have seen you and other people say, no, 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 that's not the case. He's actually sick, but then he wasn't here for the next game. And so, Buzz, can you just clarify for everybody what Jesus Ferreira's status is, please? Yeah. Especially I, me. I want to know. <laughs> well, I don't believe the team has officially said that it's COVID. Uh, you know, that's just what people, are, you know, all the word on the street is. No, but uh, Nico said it. Oh, did he? Okay, good. Dan, I'm sorry I missed that. So, yeah, officially it was COVID. So, what. Basically, he missed the whole week of training, as you do when you have COVID. And then he was cleared to train on Friday. So as of Friday, he was not contagious, but he was suffering with some fatigue, obviously, from having COVID. So he did train Friday and Saturday, but they held him out of the game. But he wasn't contagious on whatever day the Austin game was because he was at the game. That's the Friday before that game. So I'm telling you is that the Friday before the game, he was cleared to train and cleared oh, to play. Uh-huh. And Nico let him train Friday and Saturday, but not play because he was still too fatigued from the COVID. Okay. And then they've held that over. They felt the same thing when they got to the St. Louis game. They felt the same thing. Nico and his staff felt he wasn't uh, still food, still too fatigued or still suffering enough from the COVID that they didn't want him to play. So they held him out of these two games. So I, what- go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, what Nico said yesterday after the game was uh, he's still working kind of on the side a little bit with trainers. He's uh, yeah, just on kind of 
making sure that his lung capacity is is there and that his breathing is normal. They don't want to, you know, you've you've had uh, guys with not pulmonary issues exactly, but uh, you know they want to make sure that everything is is good to go for him before he's fully integrated. Yeah. So when he showed up at the game, I checked with his agent who I've known for 20 years and he has never steered me wrong, but again, he's an agent, but he told me same as before. No, nothing's happening. This is, he's really sick, legit. So the problem is of course, it's a terrible look. <laughs> Normally you would say if you're out for whatever reason, yes, you show up the game to support your team. But when all this stuff is flying around about a guy and everyone's like, oh my God, is he really sick? Is he transferring? For you to show up at the game when the team has said only you're out for illness, that was the official line, out illness, right? And then you there you are looking not at all ill. That's a bad look. So there was a poor management of that scenario across the board. I'm, I'm not pointing any fingers, but somebody should have said he was out for illness and he's back, but we're holding him out. So you might see him at the game, you know, something like that, you know, so because you because you created this scenario in people's minds where the club said he's out sick and there he is. Clearly I think not what sick. you do in that case is like all the players that are normally out injured or, or sick or, or suspended or whatever. They have the seating in front of the Hall of Fame where, you know, you may see them, you may not. But to go field side and being all the photos and videos was a little bit weird. And then even weirder than that, when the team hasn't even announced, hey, he's out of the St. Louis game, three hours before the start of the game, suddenly he appears on Twitch. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. That's... okay. Can I, can, I, can I be that guy and sure. just, just uh, say something doesn't smell right about this at all? I mean, if he's sick and he has COVID then somebody needs to manage that situation better for all the reasons you just mentioned, Buzz. Yeah. But for him to then not show up and play in the St. Louis game when he has been cleared since the Friday prior, that's especially when this team is fighting for a playoff spot and he's the only guy yeah. in the team that can even spell the word goal. I, I, I don't, much less actually hit them in the back of the net. I don't, that is really, that's weird, dude. Well, you can see why people were finding it to be very fishy. You yeah. Know, people are panicking about it. People are, there's lots of people out there who don't know who are saying, oh, yeah, this deal's happening. Well, what deal? There's no offer in for him. So, I mean, well, not that we know of. No, I mean, but Buzz, hold on. Let me, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to remind you of something you've told the curious many, many times. When they yeah. open their mouth, they're lying. Well, I, I usually say that they're lying or they have an agenda, but the, the, the thing, the thing about it is, is two independent people who so far have never told me an incorrect piece of factual information. Okay. You know, both the agent and both and Zanata separate interviews, separate occasions have said to me, there are no offers in. Okay. You know, so at, at some point, yes, you have to take them at their word to a certain point. You know, I, I've known his agent long enough that I trust him, you know, because we have off the record conversations, too. And I feel very confident in saying that as of right this minute, there's nothing on the table. <laughs> OK, you got a couple of days left. Sure. Absolutely. But uh, I honestly am very comfortable saying that I don't think anything's happening right this minute. 
There's nothing being negotiated even. No, no, even, no even opening bids as far as I know. Like there are people that have called about the price apparently, according to both yeah. those people, but no one has actually come in and said, okay, here's an offer yeah. and put and started a negotiation. It's all just been inquiring. You know what that? You know what the old saying is: if you have to ask how much it is, then you probably can't afford it. Probably, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably true. And we've talked about that. You know, you, we've talked about where we think the price is and how few clubs can afford that. And his salary. It's a smaller group than it was a year and a half ago. So, am I wrong? Does this not have ever so slight shades of the end of the Maro Diaz? It does life cycle because yeah. didn't, didn't something something similar happen with morrow he like mysteriously got hurt or was being held out again for one of his multiple injuries and yeah. then next thing we knew he had a big deal on the table from the middle yep. east yep he got a he got a late offer for um you know like triple his salary and he was missing from training and uh I, it was oscar at the time and i was like hey what's going on with morrow diaz and he was like oh well you know he's he just needs time off from time to time <laughs> and knowing Oscar, like I knew Oscar, I was like, well, shit, you know, and, and people I knew were like telling me behind the scenes, oh man, you know, he's got something going on. And then that turned out to be true, but this is the opposite of that. Yeah. It's like, it's not people behind the scenes telling me, oh man, something's going on. This is, you know, them saying people, my, my connection saying there's, there's nothing tangible going on. You know, could something happen in the next four to 10 days? Of course it could. But like, as of the day of the game, as of Saturday, when I had that last conversation with his agent, nothing was going on. So, yeah. So, okay. So let's throw away, let's just set aside the idea that he, that this is really all a, a rouge to cover up his potential sale and that yeah. he actually was sick. Mm -hmm. Can we, uh, we can all agree that at the very least, somebody needs to do a better job of uh, media relations, public relations, just the overall look and feel of how this thing was handled over the last five or six days. Yeah. P part of it is that the coaching staff doesn't want it out that he's going to play or not. Right. They want a last second notification, you know, and so that's why at the time of the thing, they just say he's out well, illness. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, I get I agree. it. But yeah. what but what part of this is not just that buzz, but I'm talking about the part that's confusing yeah. everybody is he's he's not in the first game, but he shows up at the game and then he mysteriously misses the game five days later or whatever the number of days is. And he doesn't even he doesn't travel or nothing. How sick is he really? You know, like, I think that's the part that's confusing. Well, that's the thing is like, you you know, enough about covid that once you cross that threshold where you're not contagious anymore, you're not really sick anymore. Right. So like as of Friday, he wasn't actually sick, but he still has symptoms. So he still has fatigue. He still has, you know, not getting deep breaths as you yeah. would like to. So the, you know, the training staff, not the medical staff, the training staff says, we think it's a bad idea that he plays. And so they don't play him, you know, and they were, they were hoping he would be able to go by the St. Louis game. And clearly somebody, decided that he still wasn't good enough. Now, the bad part is showing up when all they say is illness and you show up and then you're going on your stream three hours for the game and letting that cat out of the bag that you didn't travel. So there's there's a couple of things there that are not being managed correctly, you know. Now, who if you that's not the agent's problem, that's a PR problem, you know. But then again, Jesus is not exactly PR responsive necessarily. So, 
you know, he's a, he's not easy to manage on a PR level. Jesus, he does what he wants to do. You know, so it's, there's only so much you can do. You know, Buzz, when you say a phrase like in referring to a pro athlete going on your stream three hours before the game, it all yeah. feels like we're living an episode of Black Mirror. Yeah, it's a new world order, my man. <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> he's a Twitch gamer, man. Yeah, he, he was. He had like when I I went and looked, he had you know 45, 50 people watching him play whatever game he was playing. You know. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess the larger problem is 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 obviously if if they do sell him, and maybe this turns out that if they sell him, the season's just done and toasted at that point, isn't it? Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, if they oh. sold him in this window, it's over. I mean, they would they wouldn't make the playoffs. You know, I mean, they would try. You know, it's it's too their window is closed, so they couldn't bring anybody in unless they found some free agent floating around there. But how good would that guy be? They'd be terrible. You well, know, it can't be any so, worse than Ansa. Right. Well, well, sure you can. Obreon's worse than Ansa. Oh, fair. Okay. Yeah. And so what's Jimenez? You know, it, if they sold him now, they'd be in trouble in terms of this season. It's, it's another reason why I don't think it would be anything now. It's because they know how big a deal it is. You know, you'll, you'll the club will have to do their due diligence, though, because, you know, this winter, the likelihood will go up that he's going to go. You know, and every every window from here on out, the likelihood will go up as his contract time diminishes, and if he continues to play at this level. Well, I I you know the thing that my takeaway from the Austin game and hearing you guys talk about it is it's weird to me that this team comes out and plays so flat when that was their first game back post uh, League's Cup because remember the other yeah. game prior to that got postponed because Philly had a game. Um, and it's just you would think this if there was ever a game to be up for and ready and fresh, it would have been this one. So to hear that all of it except for the last three minutes was a poor performance is pretty disheartening. But this also is another thing that I'm sitting here realizing when I look. I mean, my my if you were just to ask me what kind of season Austin was having, I'd I'd giggle and I'd kind of go a delightfully awful season. Yeah. I mean, especially compared to last season. And then I look at the standings and Dallas is one point ahead of them. Well, they were behind him going into that game. Yeah, and so I maybe I hadn't really kind of quantified in my head the reality of just how badly things have gone for Dallas of late because this was a team that was floating around the top three or four for a very long part of the first part of the season. Don't forget, there was that six-game losing run. Yes, I know. But I just maybe I just didn't quantify that it had sunk this team as, down to the depths of where Austin is at this point. Well, it feels it was- better. Go ahead, Dan. I was going to say, it all seemed to happen over that, that one last game. Uh, or was it the even the draw in Seattle? They were sitting fourth and fifth for quite a long time, and then suddenly it was like, oh, eighth, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yes. I mean, contributing to this, Peter, is the factor that, like, second to tenth is, is separated by, like, five points. So, it's like, you win one game and you jump three or four places. You lose one game, you drop three or four places. So, I mean, it's just really tight. You know, Austin has improved for sure. They've gotten better. You know, the thing about that game is that when you're playing a relatively a team that's in that's your rival, that one of your rivals in state and they're they're here to you know really play hard. It's their biggest game of the year. They even talked about it before it came in. And and you're still looking at a, a Dallas team who is, is not a large offensive number generating team. So the, the Austin game was pretty even until they lost a guy. And then once they lost a guy, then it was ma- massively tilted towards Dallas and they bunkered hard. And mm-hmm. you know how Dallas is when it's a hard bunker. They slowed down and tried to get really patient and tried to really slowly work it around. So that's not particularly exciting soccer. Yeah. And some of your perception that the team had doing better than it was was because they had a pretty good league cup. 
you know, they had a nice four game run there with Alaska in the middle that make you felt really That's good true. about how the yeah. team was doing. And you forget that they lost seven of eight or whatever it was coming into the thing. So let's talk about Alan. He got called up to the Argentinian national team, which is obviously a big uh, a big treat for everybody. And I and by and large, one of the positive things that I have read based on some of the comments from the last two games and from seeing him, as you mentioned, is his improved play and like moving him to the center seems to have rein, reinvigorated him within the within the within the squad. Yeah, it's pretty clear that the time has come. You know, that that move I think will be pretty permanent. Um, the, the, when he first arrived here, coach talked about that idea that he could eventually be that guy in the middle, but it just took a long time. You know, last season was all about learning how to defend, really, and then this season the thing that took some time I think was learning to play in the middle means you're surrounded. So more and more and more, we saw him cutting inside and coming underneath, and his play began to drift more centrally and drift more centrally. It was clear that he wanted to be in there. And so I think they used the League's Cup as a chance to make that move and see how it went, and obviously it went really well. You know, building up to the game against Messi when he had the best game of his career, you know, obviously motivated by playing against Messi. Hmm. So I I think it's pretty clear that he'll stay in there uh, from here on out, pending, you know, just an absolute disaster on the wing and really the best idea may move him back out there, but I don't think that'll happen. I think he'll stay in there. But, it, but in that role, because I haven't seen it other than yeah. what I saw in Lee, is he consistently being a dangerous opportunity creation type player that they need? Yeah, I think so. Dan, where, where do you feel about that? Yeah. Even the Austin game, he got kind of shut out a little bit, but the red card came because he received the, the ball in midfield, made a 20 yard run Pereira took him out, got a yellow card, and then uh, the second yellow card came from uh, Pereira putting a pretty strong challenge in on Velasco, getting frustrated and just kind of lunging at uh, Jose Martinez afterwards. So I think, yeah, Velasco is definitely causing trouble with what he does. Uh, Even when he gets those moments where there isn't really an option for him, we've seen him, was it the Miami game where he just, like smashed a crossbar from like 30 yards out. Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, he didn't start against St. Louis, so it's really just the Austin game we're talking about. And he had two key passes, which was the most on the team. So, you know, Why did still he not start against St. Louis? I mean, uh, management, I'm sure, you know, was a big part of it, trying to keep it fresh. Hmm. You know, they had three games this week, you know, so they, they wanted to rotate a little bit. He carried a heavy load in the least cup and then they had time off after that so i think it's just that so is it just me or when i hear things like uh man management and getting a guy a game off when there's only like 10 nine games left that they are really running the gambit of all we got to do is make the playoffs we don't care for ninth we don't care for first uh yes and no I, they have a really heavy schedule coming up at the end of um so towards the end of this month and going into September, they they have like four straight weeks with a Wednesday game, I think it is. So they're really going to get hit hard in that time frame. So I just think they're trying to, you know, get everybody as, as healthy as possible. And for all, I, all we know, maybe he got a kick against the Austin game and just sort of was like not hurt, but maybe they were just like, you know, let's just hold about this game because St. Louis is very direct anyway, and they, they clogged the middle pretty good and play very direct. So it's, it wasn't necessarily going to be a game where they probably felt like he was going to have a lot of hay, and that turned out to be true with the red card anyway. So but. as bad as the Austin game was, was it, the St. Louis game buzz was worse? Well, the red card ruined it. 
you know, once once that red card happened, you know, St. St. Louis was controlling that game. I have not it, seen the red card highlight, so I don't know how Paws got the red card. I just know he got one. <laughs> well, I want to talk about that red card because not the call, like because you know I'm not, I'm not a big one for arguing these minutia calls, but I want to talk about that play because there are three mistakes that lead to that red card. Uh, and I think it's important to talk about that, you know, because people are trying to say whose fault it is. And I think it's actually three people, three, three, three players fault. And one of those players is Dante Seeley. Dante uh, is still very naive about playing sort of this deeper wide midfield or even wing back role. And what happens in that play is the, is, is Tafari's moving across midfield back towards his keeper and the ball's bouncing in front of him. And he clearly looks at Dante Seeley and waves and saying, check back to me, check back to me. Well, if you have to wave at your wide midfielder to tell him to check back to you, it's way too late. That recognition needs to happen way before that. And Dante needs to put himself in a position to receive a pass. So Nikosi is waiting for him to, to come show so he can make the pass to him. And then out of the corner of his eye, Tafari sees the blue keeper jersey coming. And so he peels off a little and looks towards his keeper. Oh, oh, you're coming. Well, he wasn't coming. He, there was a miscommunication, it appears, between those two guys. Nikosi thinks, as rightly should, if the keeper's coming, you leave it to the keeper because you, you see him out of the corner of your eye, you peel out. You don't want to hurt your keeper. So then they get caught in no man's land and Paz gets stuck and ends up accidentally perhaps handballing the ball, sort of. Now, what do you think of handballers or not is a moot point. All three of those guys messed up. Seeley didn't show back. Tafari, once you start waving and realizing it's not happening, just crush it out of bounds into the top of the stands. And Paz needs to either come out hard and loud and win it decisively. So three mistakes happened that led to that red card and it basically cost Dallas that match. So that announces lack of a finish, which is a different moment. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good summary. The, the thing that just confused me is there was a wide shot where you could see Paz, you know, he had his hands up as if to say like, you know, stay up it's going to get cleared but i don't know if he was waiting for tafari to knock the ball back to him because tafari was under pressure from rasmus alm tafari never actually looks directly at pars he's looking at at Seely when he peels off so i don't know if he thought he heard the shout of you know get out i'm gonna clear it and but yeah it was a horrible horrible miscommunication in there yeah, and it's hard to say exactly whose fault it is, other than I put it on all three of those guys, you yeah. know. And and you could, I think, you can make a case that you know, English is certainly not Paz's first language, and Tafari has not been the guy for more than about a year, maybe a year and a half. So those guys are still working these kinds of things out, you know. And and there's obviously a complete breakdown in that moment, but those kinds of things happen. It's just a learning opportunity for multiple people involved on how to do that better next time it comes up. You know, it won't come up exactly like that, but. This is part of the process of development and, and, and learning. And it's why a defense that's been playing together for three years is better than a defense that's been playing together for a year. You know, it's all part of it. Oh, you've also got the age component. Like Matt Hedges was not amazing at communication in the back line, really, until he got close to 30. And you've got Tafari's, what, 27, Paz is 25. You know, they're, 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 they're still young guys kind of, growing into leadership roles yeah fair uh so i guess 
there's a win, there's a loss. You win at home against your in-state rival. You lose to St. Louis, the first-place team. And it kind of goes as you expected, but I get the overall sense is not everybody's feeling too super jazzed about the form of the club at this particular moment as we head into the, the stretch run. Think about this way. Austin, if, you, you know, if they want to talk about a home playoff game, Austin is a team you comfortably need to beat. They did not comfortably beat Austin. They got the three points. Very, very lucky to get it, really. Uh, Tafari admitted he was not aiming that header. All he was trying to do was just get his head on the ball and put it somewhere for maybe someone else to head it in. Um, St. Louis, you, you go to the team that's the highest scorers in the league. They're the you know top of the West. And you win the XG battle. You actually have some great opportunities Probably should have wrapped it up again, answer. But ultimately in both games, it's kind of disappointing how it all turned out. Yeah, I think these two games underscore how badly this team needs Jesus Ferreira and how much of an MVP he is and how important he is and how the whole team will go or not go based on whether that guy's here and engaged or not. Mm. You know, even the games where he missed where the team has been better. It hasn't been prolific. It was because we saw the midfield sort of wake up with Velasco and, and uh, uh, legit sort of waking up and a guy like Bernie coming on and scoring a couple of goals that got him going, you know, somebody sort of filled that void in a sense. And then the, these two games, they came crashing back to earth when Jesus wasn't available and nobody was sort of stepping up and filling that void like Bernie had done uh, in the league's cup. So, you know, it, it definitely leaves you wondering or, you know, probably in my case, thoroughly convinced that they really are sort of a one-dimensional team going forward still. And they really have some work to do in terms of making this team really viable. And it may be that some of the guys on this roster are the answer, but they're not there yet. Uh, and then my final takeaway is that I thought Paxton had a really good game against St. Louis. Yeah, I was just going to say yeah. that I saw one highlight and it was the most, I mean, it just broke, I broke the biggest smile out when I saw it because it was such a refreshing moment to see Paxton do a Paxton thing. We haven't yep. seen that in quite some time. I mean, to be frank, I think we've talked about this on the podcast, but I know I've talked about it with friends I and people that know Paxton is just expressing my concern that I was really worried that kid, something was seriously wrong, but man, that one little flash, yeah. if it only had been, if Ansa had just taken his opportunity, man, that would have been uh, a moment to remember for Paxton. Yeah. This was the best Paxton's been in maybe two months. He had, you know, basically 90% passing, which was the first among the starters. St. Louis really stifled their ability to get forward and they were way low blocking, but he was still two for two in take-ons, which is the best on the team. He had two shot creating Ashkins, again, tied for first on the team. And he had four passes into the final third, which led the team by a good margin. So it was a really excellent game for Paxton. And that particular play is vintage Paxton. And but we talk all the time, or I've talked all the time about this low producing shot volume team and how important it is to take the moments when they come. Remember, there was a two times Bernie could have won a game and didn't. And then there were two times where he did took the moment and he didn't win a game. Exact same thing with Ansa here. If he takes that moment, if he basically one times that shot and gets it into the goal, then you've you've won that game. You you miss that moment, you miss that one key moment that the game turned, your team deflates, and it all fell apart after that now granted the final sub didn't help but uh it all fell apart when they realized that was the moment they didn't get it and so then it was just dreary like oh can we close this out or not and no they could not but uh great game from paxton so i guess my question i guess another question would be now that we're towards the end of the window and 
and and and I feel like all of the business has been done so far, at least in terms of incoming. Uh, are you are we disappointed in what's transpired in terms of inbound? Uh, I like I think Aramandi's got something. Um, the other two for me are just kind of average kind of players that this club seems to like to fill up its roster with. Yeah. But Yaramendi, I think, could potentially be something really nice. You know, there's a there's a composure to his game, a maturity to a game, a, like a high-level thought process to his game. You know, even like the, the clip they put out of the first day of his training, he was already the first day talking to Paxton and gesturing and showing him like, no, no, not here, here. You know, so I think there's a real value to that signing. Granted, I'm saying that on one like 45, 50 minutes of action, but um, there's a there's a quality to it that's that's really nice. Then the other two, I, I thought Frazier was awful in this game against St. Louis, and, mm. and Anse's had one or two got good moments, but also some really terrible moments. So he's you know it's like an upgrade on Obrion, but only barely. Yeah, uh, Frazier's was pretty terrible. Like, yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> the first thing that happens when he comes into the game was that uh, uh, that errant pass from uh, Tafari, and he just, you know, it's maybe a yard away from him. He could probably stretch for it, run to close down any, the loose ball. He just watches it go to a St. Louis player, watches the St. Louis player then run past him, and then that leads to the goal. Oh, yeah, they, that second sub brought in Martinez and they brought in Frazier for Paxton. And immediately St. Louis, and Martinez went in at that left center back with Seeley as his left wing back and Frazier in front of him as his the six, double six on that side. And all of a sudden it's ball after ball come firing in from the left side. And granted, Tuomasi made a meal out of both of them, but... That's just, that's for me. That's way more about denial of crosses into the box and getting out and closing down guys that are in danger positions more than it is. By the time it gets to the back post, and Tuomasi's either it's either bouncing off him or it's going directly in, and that kind of crap. You know, not great moments for him. But those goals don't happen if Martinez and Frazier play the way you're supposed to play, and if Sealy's not basically running it like 80 percent at that point because he's not used to going 90 minutes. So it was a disaster of a sub at the end of the game. And that, le- that their, our left side, the Dallas left side, and their right side just completely broke down as they fired balls in at will, basically. It was awful. I feel like we should take a minute just to admire the work that St. Louis has done for a, uh, a debut franchise. That's, that's, been, that's been a project that's been a long time coming. And obviously a lot of what has worked for them this debut season uh, is related to the fact that they've been playing as a team for quite some time and kind of laying the groundwork for what they've done this year. I think you could argue they're the only team to get any kind of value out of MLS Next Pro. <laughs> Just because yeah. they had a core of their team, including Roman Berkey, playing in MLS Next Pro, so that they kind of weren't a first-year franchise. No, they certainly haven't played. I mean, look, there's yeah. been a lot of uh, you know debut seasons that have gone very well right out of the box. Uh, Atlanta, obviously, but this one, this one feels different for some reason. I don't know. Atlanta always had the feel and vibe to me that it could that it that it would probably be a flash and then settle out and then have to come back. This one, for whatever reason, feels like it's got something significant to it. Yeah, they, they lead the league in set play goals. Um, and they've been doing a lot of it without Klaus, which is amazing. Uh, one of the things that feels different about it is how direct it is. It's not it's not like British 70s, long old school long ball where you boot it like 90 yards. It's not like that. 
but it's also not this slow build out of the back possession game. Like people ask me, and it's even somebody asked me for a burn topic on it about Bartlett being successful there. And it's because they don't ask those guys, same with their other guy, Parker, that they got from Houston. It's like they don't ask those guys to be distributors and playmakers out of the back. They're like, get it out. And they just get it up the field fast. You know, it's like Johnny Nelson was doing fine there because it was like, get it up the field. You know, they're not they're not trying to be fancy and do this ticky tacky Barcelona, dribble it up. They're like, it's like a track meet. They're going like Minnesota plays in a way. So it's a little more rare in this league to see teams that are direct like this and have this less of this uh, Spanish Latin influence that we have a lot of in this league, which is great. Don't get me wrong. I, I love that kind of soccer too. You know, so it feels different than other teams. And you can see that in the high number of set play goals they have and the, and, the, and not the amount of, it's not counterattacking, just as it is like an, an alacrity to just get out the field and get out you fast. Hmm. All right. Well, uh, next up is the aforementioned Atlanta uh, with their star Argentinian uh, coming in on uh, the second at seven thirty. And well, thankfully, he'll, uh, I assume he'll be gone yeah. just like after the game, just like Velasco is. So Almeida will not be at the game, but Velasco will. No, I'm assuming he will be with Velasco. That's what I'm saying. Oh, sorry, I didn't articulate that well, but I'm saying I'm assuming he will be there, just like Alan will be. Yeah. So they're saying, I mean, we'll see, but, yeah. you know. Well, with uh, nine games left, the other note to just keep in the back of your head is that five of Dallas's last nine games are home games. Uh, uh, but the next two are home games. Uh, three of the four for September are home games. Yeah. And then uh, three of the last five are away games at Philly, at Houston. Oh, my God. How good are Houston now? Yeah. And uh, and the season in L.A. So well, RSL is only four, five, and four at home. So there, you can get points there, too, weirdly. So it's like it's, you gotta, you got to do make your hay at home. Maybe you can get a little bit something at RSL. Going to Philly and going to Houston are really tough. And then, you know, you're hoping you're going to L.A. is not that very good either. So you can actually feel like you can go to L.A. maybe and get a point. So, so Buzz, uh, going with Atlanta on Saturday, uh, I just it's, let's just assume Jesus is healthy. And I mean, not he better get, be. And, and not getting <laughs> sold. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if he's not, it's just a mess. But he better be. I mean, I, I don't even know what to do. If he's not, Jimenez has been awful for two games. I can't fathom that they would go back to that again. Surely they would stick with something like O'Brown or something. I mean, it's not ideal, but at least the guy moves. Yeah. So let's just assume it's Paxton. Uh, you know, we did not see Areola in St. Louis, so I assume he comes back after he was better against Austin. Not great, but better than he had been the game before. You know, whether and then the other wing is a crapshoot. You know, honestly, is it O'Brown? Is it is it Bernie? Is it Ansa? I mean, at this point, you can flip a coin. Through League's Cup, I would have said it was Bernie at a lock, but he got yanked fast against Austin. So I don't know. and We didn't really see him. Did he come in against St. Louis, Dan? I don't remember. No, he didn't. Yeah, so, I mean, Dante Seeley started in wide midfield against St. Louis, which I'll tell you where the situation is on that side. How did he play? He was okay. Um, <laughs> you know, he's not when, – when he's come in late in games – He's had some really good moments and done some electric things and really gone at people and been aggressive, but he's playing wing. He's not playing wide midfield. And when they put him at wide midfield or wing back, he's kind of lost. He doesn't know what to do. So he kind of just jogs around a little bit and tries to use his athleticism to recover, and it's not good enough. So it's like 
you know, I didn't, I would not have given him a very good grade on that if I was great. And I, I thought he was poor, particularly as the game went on, he wore out and couldn't, he's not used to going 90 minutes. So I can't imagine he would start against Atlanta. I mean, surely it's going to be Obreon or Bernie. So probably Obreon, um, unexcitingly, the real fun part is in midfield. I mean, you have to go with Facundo at this point. You don't really have another six except Frazier, who's terrible, apparently. Um, Paxton played pretty well, but again, midweek. So you probably go back to Legette, you know, although Legette played two. So maybe it's finally time to start Irimondi. Man, honestly, at this point, I'm grasping at straws for like what you would do. You know, I, I would, Velasco, I think will go because this is his last game before he's leaving anyway. So I'll say Velasco and Irimondi just for the fun of it, you know, without side Legette. I don't think you'd see Paxton road again that quickly. But how did we get away from Legit? Legit was playing better all he of a put, sudden. He did, but yeah. he played in wide midfield last game, so it was just, you know, whatever. Um, hmm. you know, it could easily be him, but he just played like two straight games. So it seems to me like it'd be a time. You wouldn't go Paxton on a second straight game. I don't think so. It just lines up maybe where it's time to put an Armani in longer. But it can honestly flip a coin on any of those three guys at this point. You know, without being able to go to training, I'm just sort of trying my best to think about what a coach might do. So, and then the back line is at home again. So it'll be Giovanni Jesus. Um, I'm going to guess um, Tafari, of course, and maybe Ibiaga, even though he just played Wednesday because Martinez started the other one right down. Am I, am I losing my mind? You're correct. Yeah. So, uh, but no pause, which means Maurer. Uh, in goal with uh, Antonio on the bench. Yeah, a real quick question about mm-hmm. Mr. Paz. Yeah. Have we had a goalkeeper get as many red cards as Martin Paz has gotten in his short time here? I was thinking about uh, that. DJ Countess? Huh? I said... Oh, DJ Countess. Oh. Yeah. There Go was ahead, a stat the team released that he was only the third goalkeeper to get some off for FC Dallas. Yeah. I just feel like DJ Countess would have gotten some. I know Matt Jordan got a couple. Wait, Paz is on what, his third red card? No. Not this season, but since he's joined the team. He's had a couple of collision red cards. Or maybe Man, one I, of those got maybe I, one of those got overturned and I'm maybe one got called and VAR converted it uh, uh changed it. But I know he's had at least two red cards. Yeah, he's had he's had one ruled out by VAR. Uh, okay. I think that was maybe that Kansas City game where he had the two penalty saves. Maybe, yeah. Okay, so he's he's had two red cards officially confirmed since being here. Uh, I don't know. They don't have that stat in their career stats. <laughs> he had one this season, obviously. I know he's had at least two this season. He has no, yeah. to have. No? No, he's only he had one. Uh, this. Huh. Interesting. We'll let you look that up while we move on. And instead of a podcast of listening to Dan look up, well, FBNet stats. FBNet says one this year, and that's it. Okay. Yeah, he's only had one period. That was actually his first full red card in his career. Really? Yeah. God, really. I swear. All right, I'm just making crap up. Yeah. Now. Well, there was the turnover one makes it feel like there was more. No, I I would have I would have put money down initially that he had had at least three red cards since joining Dallas, and and then realized maybe one of them got overturned. But I definitely would have put money down that he had had two, one last season and this one the other day. 
and the third one would have been the one that was okay. right over. But I so guess all all time FC Dallas red cards for goalkeepers: Matt Jordan on April thirtieth, nineteen ninety nine; Dario Sala uh, on <laughs> April twenty sixth, two thousand. I know Sala's. Yes, Sala's the and Martin Paz yesterday. Well, Sala's the ones where he punched the dude right after the punched the dude uh, in the I face. Punched Hunter Freeman in the face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when he was playing, for, yeah, for Chivas. Yeah, <laughs> not just the dude, awesome. Hunter Freeman, God, local I love, guy. I love Dario Sala. He was, yeah, he was great. Awesome. Yeah, he was yeah. as close to Emmy Martinez as we've ever gotten in a goalkeeper. Uh, was Dario Sala? Yeah, he was fun. Wait, isn't he still? Is he still a goalkeeper coach in Atlanta? Uh, he might be. He may be. Maybe we'll see him on Saturday. <laughs> Uh, okay, so there's talk of the two games. Thanks for catching me up, guys. I appreciate that. Let's look at the run sheet. What else uh, my buddy has in well, here? Well, before you run off, orange people suggested that maybe Antonio Carrera should start against Atlanta, and I am vehemently opposed to that idea. Um, and I just want to say... you said orange people, and I was going to say... Well, yes, no, no orange people. Uh, anyway, the point. what I wanted to say about it is that the damage you could do, particularly to a keeper, a young goalkeeper who might not be ready versus what he would gain from that game, it's not worth the balance. Yeah. Because if, if he gets lit up, you could destroy him if he just turns into a, just a debacle. You know, there's no rush on a 20, 21-year-old keeper. You know, just take your time. Don't put him in where he's going to get just peppered. Jimmy Maurer is fine. You know, the... the you know what? Because keepers get so few touches during the game that the amount of that this one game would benefit him would be very, very little. Just let him continue to train with Drew Keyshawn for another year or two or whatever it is. When he's ready, he's ready. In the meantime, don't throw him out there just because there's a game. You know, it would be bad. Yeah, that's like pushing the soft spot on a newborn baby's skull. Yeah. You just don't do it. You know, if, if you ran out of keepers... I'm sure that they are confident to put him in there, but the risk reward factor of forcing it is not worth yeah. it. Yeah. Just let Jimmy play. It'll be fine. Okay. Uh, let's see. We talked about Velasco's call up, which is really cool. I'm sure he's super excited about that. This has been a good run of time. I mean, he gets to play against Messi and scores a goal against Messi's team. And I just, man, things, things suddenly are looking very up for, for Allen. And I feel good about that. And uh, Buzz, you have noted here, North Texas signed somebody. Yeah, Malachi Molina. He's coming out of the U-17, moving into the U-19 team. He started every game for Jamaica in the U-17 CONCACAF championship. He's a player that I've been talking about for a couple of years now. He's a... He's a Brian Reynolds-type uh, vertical athletic winger who, like they do, they've converted to outside back. He's a right back predominantly. He's played a couple times for North Texas, has had one or two good games and one or two bad games. So, But he's a young guy you want to develop. He's been on my homegrown list, watch list for you know two years now. So I'm just, it's a good player, good young player. You know, in, in the long line of right backs they had coming through the system, he's one with a lot of upside potential. Well, I'm glad you said his first name uh, before I had an opportunity because I would have pronounced it Malachi. Malachi, no, it's Malachi. <laughs> <laughs> you know, people call him Mal or Kai or whatever. He's Malachi Molina. You know, he's. Uh, well, he's I call him Malachi. Malachi, yeah. Uh, he's a he's a he's from Florida, I believe. He is a, an American, but he is U.S. and Jamaica eligible both. And so far, he's played for Jamaica. Uh, their youth national team program. So, 
Uh, and then uh, the other thing to note is the Atlanta game is their burn retro night they've been promoting. And I think I saw somewhere somebody said that Chad Deering, Paul Broom, and who's the other old Jeff burn? Kassar. Ah, so. Jeff Kassar are all going to be there to do that silly button thing. Yeah, they are. And there'll be a meet and greet in the Windstar Club with them. And here's the other part about the, the here's the thing that is going to drive me nuts is they're going to wear those white burn flame retro shirts uh, with white kits, which yeah. means their opponent, which is a red and black team, are going to wear red and black in Toyota Stadium yeah. when they're the away team. And that's just wrong. Well, the league image has Dallas in the white with the black shorts. So that at least will be something. And white socks. Well, I wonder how they're going to pull that off because I don't think Atlanta has an alternate color pair of shorts. I think they only have black. Well, they have Atlanta and black. You're the only one that doesn't that minds oh. black, like matching Atlanta black shorts. Atlanta has that new third shirt too. Well, they do. They, there are other options, but the you know, with take it with a grain of salt, the league image has been sent out, and it's Atlanta and red, black, red. Yeah, maybe they'll wear that black, new white. graffiti. What's the what are the shorts for those, Dan? Do you know? I don't know. Well, I did see someone. Walking into the stadium wearing it the other day, and it is pig ugly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw a picture of it, and the thing that I don't like about it is the same thing I don't like about the burn retro shirt, which is they, they, they everything was too symmetrical with those flames, and they were too big, and they're all in a line. It looks like wallpaper, and the and the and the Atlanta, um, at least the brief uh, kind of look at it i got felt like it was all too symmetrical in its design especially for something like graffiti it should have a little felt messier than that but who knows all right oh it's because yeah. messy obviously no that's unfortunate um okay uh what else <laughs> anything else we need to cover here well i wanted to say one more thing about alan velasco they put out an interview uh that they did obviously in spanish when he got called up for the Argent argentina um and i thought it was really interesting that he said that he knew that he'd been playing well in the league's cup. And he, and he said specifically, I played my best game against Miami and Messi. And he said, and it's probably because of Messi. So oh, like wow. he, he has a recognition that the moment was there and he recognized it. And he thought it was really cool that Messi wanted to trade Jersey with him and gave him a hug. So it's a pretty cool little interview. I mean, obviously you have to, I had to watch it in Spanish uh, subtitles, but you know, and, I'm convinced that a lot of what's going on with Miami and Messi is, I'm I'm 100% convinced a lot of it is a byproduct of other players elevating their game because it's messy or overwhelmed by the moment because it's messy. Yeah. Does that yeah, make sense? 100%. Yeah, totally. And I just thought it was super cool that he recognized the moment. And what you want is players that in the moment rise to the occasion. That's exciting. And for him to have a recognition of it and accept it and still rise to the occasion is phenomenal. I just love that. Yeah, you know, I was I, I the goal that he scored against Red Bull the other day, the tap in, and that whole sequence was the most definitive example of his pure genius as a player, but also the just kind of overall level of MLS defending and the differences between MLS and other top, and, and top leagues in the world, not other top leagues, but top leagues in the world where the the everybody just kind of was like lulled to sleep in that moment. I, are you, do you know the, the sequence I'm talking about buzz? Yeah, I remember it. 
it's just it was if you ever had if nobody's gone back and watched it go back and watch the highlight you can find it all over twitter just you know messi starts that entire sequence and then he has a marker on him out of the midfield and then that guy just like mysteriously just stops following messi and messi just kind of strolls into the box and taps the cross in it's the weirdest thing and uh and i and i again i part of it's his genius and part of it is i just think people just I don't know, man. They just don't know what to do about the moment. Yeah, there was, a, there was one goal where they, they have an ISO of him, and he's just walking, 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 and all of a sudden he realizes that he's alone and just explodes right up through the middle, and no one comes close to within 15 yards of him by the time he's scoring. Yeah. And I, and I saw a quote somebody said where it's like, he walks when everyone else runs, and then he runs when everyone else walks. And I thought well, that was a really interesting way of saying you know what he does and how special he is and how he reads the game. It's just yeah, incredible. I, I saw a quote from one of the new young guys they picked up, and he said the first thing Messi told him to do is stop running so much. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> like, just slow down and stop stop running so much. And I thought, that's crazy. But again, I've said this a thousand times, Messi is the only player that gets away with that kind of uh, profile as a player because every other forward you know that just kind of walks about and doesn't do anything everybody hates as a player – because they're not trying very hard, and they don't convert the opportunities when they get them. Yeah, Messi I think, just does it every yeah. time. Well, he has some sort of level of soccer smart to know when it's important and when to do it. And honestly, what have we been saying about Paxton for five years now? Stop yeah. running so damn much. You know, yeah. a lot of people could take a lesson from that guy. The wisdom of the game when you're, you know, playing. You, know, you have to play ninety minutes. It starts when you're like fifteen years old. You have to start going ninety minutes. And there's, there's multiple kids I watch in the academy burn themselves out, and by the 70th minute, they're gassed. It's like, man, it's a 90-minute game. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you, you, I think you can point it at um, Dante Sealy last game, burned himself out about 70, and that was a part of why the collapse happened. It's not just him. He's just one example. But Paxton for years has been burning himself out at the 70, 75-minute mark, and we've always talked about, you know, there's been problems with his defense. Uh, Martinez notably burning out late in games when he has to go to the full 90, and he can't. You know, he has that leg problem comes in. So it's it's a recurring issue, and it's why I hate five subs because I think it's so important to be able to be 90-minute fits. And, and if you can't do it, then you're not as good a player. Keep preaching, Buzz. Yeah, man. I'm it's never choir. going back. I, I mean, know. I know. As much as I complain about people that complain about promotion relegation, I say you get to live in the world. I have a recognition, right? I live in the world. I know five's never going away. I'm going to hate it till the day I die, but – I know it's never going backwards. You can put the genie back in the bottle. Mm. Well, here we go. The stretch run is here. September is here. And this is where it gets dirty and nasty and uh, a fight to the death. And we'll see how it plays out for for those of us who are curious about FC Dallas. Yeah, you know, but they've had some stretch runs the last couple of years that have been really tough. This one isn't horrible in terms of the amount of home games and some of the chances you have even on the road to make some points, but it's tight. It's the amount of games you have with these all these midweek games because of leagues cup and because of the Philly game getting moved. Yeah. I I think the reason why I'm concerned is that the the whole team just feels like a very un, uh, ungelled, just a bunch of pieces. And I have no sense that I understand what this, like, I, I honestly don't know what this team's best 11 is. No, I don't either. Um, I, I don't well, know. Buzz, one. if you don't know what this team's best 11 is, they've got a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah. I, there's too many guys that are not playing up to their potential or their salary yet, you know, and, then yeah. there, and there's new pieces that are decent we don't know enough about. There's young guys who maybe aren't consistent enough. 
you know, some of that leads to tough decisions from the coach. Some of it leads to choices where you don't really have a choice and you're kind of stuck doing whatever you can. I mean, welcome to MLS, basically. So, um, again, not a cup team, right? I mean, we've been saying that since January. This ain't a cup year. Well, uh, I guess we'll find out, my dear friend. So we've got, uh, we got. by the way, just one game. We got the international break after the Atlanta game. So uh, Atlanta in Dallas at 7.30, and it is on the Apple TV, and it is a season pass game. So there you go. Uh, Dan, you still there? Yeah, I'm clinging on. Okay, well, go take a nappy nap. Go get some shot eye. Yeah, I mean, you know, could get could get ready to watch uh, Luton get their first Premier League win tomorrow. I'm rooting for you, boys. I'm definitely root. I'm I am worried. I'm more worried. I'm more worried about my Luton pick prediction of not getting relegated after two games than I w- want to be. To be honest with you, sir. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. You know, uh, just bought in tough to games. Mengi today. Transfer window tomorrow. You know. Love the kits, though. All right. Thank you, Dan. And Buzz, thank you, sir. Thanks. I'm going to have to make a phone call and straighten out Newcastle's Champions League group. That didn't go to my liking. <laughs> it did not go to your liking. <laughs> no, it did not. And that game against Liverpool did not go to your oh liking God. either, sir. Oh, my the gosh. The that one was like, well, we're not there yet, I guess. All right. Since, yeah. you're, the, since you're my <laughs> one, uh, no, you're the one Newcastle friend that I have, are you at all worried about Eddie Howe? No. Uh-uh. Really? After I just the think, way he didn't attack City and just kind of let Liverpool slip through his fingers? Yeah, I'm not worried about it. City is the best team in the world, and Liverpool, you know, obviously was not the outcome you would want. But, you know, I think that Newcastle's not there yet. Last year they overachieved a little bit. I'm just happy to be in the Champions League. Yeah. I think we're okay. I think we need some more moves. They, they went out and signed smart, young, interesting players. And yeah, Tamale could be really good. He looks pretty good. And some of the young guys they have that are – that they signed middle last season are coming through and looking exciting and the guys that they've signed just now look like they'll be exciting in, in the future and they haven't done dumb stuff like try and go sign Mbappe for 500 million and stupid things like that so they're still being relatively intelligent about it so I like all that okay Very good. Well, uh, we'll see how Saturday turns out. And uh, so thank you for listening, FC Dallas Curious fans. We will speak to you after the Atlanta game next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. Paxton's back. Third Degree, the Third Degree Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Podcast. Third Degree, the Third Degree Podcast.